A reading from Jeremiah. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. A reading from Hebrews, chapter 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he, also, as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel today comes from the book of St. John, the 12th chapter, beginning with the 20th verse. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself." He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to be to God. 
My dearest siblings, grace and peace to you from God in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen. Um, Today is the last Sunday of Lent, and it is uh, the last Sunday of um, our theme this year, which really has been focusing on our Old Testament texts, on on these five promises that, that God makes with God's people in the Old Testament. And uh, today we're focusing on Jeremiah 31, this very famous text, which actually shows up in our lectionary several different times. Um, and and I'm, I'm so happy that we're ending with this promise because um, I think it is, it is very much a culmination of everything we've been talking about over the last four weeks. And the promise that I've come up to phrase this for Jeremiah 31 is that God promises us heaven on earth. Now, that might be a weird title to come up with after reading the Jeremiah 31 text. Um, And I'd like to just kind of go over it real quick, Um, specifically right in the middle, where, where God says through Jeremiah that this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. This promise that God is talking about, where God's God's law or God's covenant will be on our hearts, is God's way of saying that, that following in the way of God, or as I've been talking about it the last few weeks, following in the way of Jesus, this way of life that Jesus calls us into, it's not going to be something that we have to try to do or focus on doing or, or work really hard at. It's something that we will just naturally do. And we might look at this as an individual promise to say that I individually will be able to just do this wonderful stuff naturally. But that's not what Jeremiah 31 is talking about. What Jeremiah 31 is talking about is is that everyone communally is going to, to naturally be able to follow in the ways of God because the entire world will be right. Justice, mercy, love, compassion, will reign in our entire world. All of the things that cause us to to stray from this way of life, it will not exist. The reason that we will be able to do this stuff naturally is because there will be heaven on earth. Excuse me. Jeremiah is talking about what is known as the eschaton, this thing in Jewish thought where um, God will come down to earth and establish God's full kingdom across the earth. There will be nothing to compete with this kingdom. There won't be um, any pain or vine for power or war or destruction because God's kingdom will finally reign on earth. But this isn't, this isn't afterlife. That's not what Jewish people believed in. That's not what Jewish people believe in now. This is God's kingdom coming to this world where we live. This is present. And so Jeremiah 31 is not just simply about us naturally being able to follow in God's ways. Jeremiah 31 is is this promise for heaven on earth. 
And we have to realize this is, this is not an individual promise. This is not a promise just for you. This is a promise for the entire world. Which is a radical statement to make. Not just the believers. The entire world. The reason I think this is important for us, for, for our, our Lenten theme, is because... We often treat our faith as Christians like we've already arrived at this promise in Jeremiah 31. And to make my point, um, I use a, a book every Sunday that has all of our texts listed out and a little tiny bit of commentary on each text, kind of a, a very quick synopsis on what this text is going to be like. It's called Sundays and Seasons. Some of you may have heard of it. This is the description that Sundays and Seasons wrote for Jeremiah 31, for this Sunday. And this is an ELCA book. This is our progressive historical context kind of theology. This is what it wrote. God promises Jeremiah a new covenant will be made in the future. That sounds good. A covenant that will allow all people to know God by heart. Also sounds good. But then it says this. The church sees this promise fulfilled in Christ, who draws all people to himself when he is lifted up on the cross. Our baptismal covenant draws us to God's heart through Christ and draws God's love and truth into our hearts. Now, you may not hear it the way I did when I was reading this, but the way this is described is that we have arrived at this fulfillment. Fulfillment is, is uh, another word of saying that it's already done. It's fulfilled. We have already arrived at this, this promise simply because Jesus existed and simply because we believe in Jesus, simply because we were baptized into Jesus. It almost seems like, like there's nothing left for us to do. But all a person has to do is look around at our society See our love of war and violence. See our levels of, of poverty and homelessness. In a country especially that boasts 70% of its people being Christian, folks, we have not arrived at this fulfillment. And part of the temptation in making us think that we have arrived at this fulfillment is that we as Christians, we often treat Jesus as though he's this endpoint. That the goal is to get people to believe that Jesus is God and then you're done. There's nothing left for you to do. Once you believe that Jesus is God, you get to go to heaven at the end of your life. And if you don't, you go to hell at the end of your life. There's nothing left to do except to simply believe in Jesus. But what I think Jeremiah 31 is really trying to pull us into is that, that Jesus is just the beginning. Jesus comes into this world, as I've said over the last few weeks, to call us into a journey, not a destination. To call us into a way of life, not to rest in an endpoint. That we are called into a way of life that is meant to, to help us experience God's kingdom now and to help bring that kingdom to others now 
That is what this promise in Jeremiah 31 is all about. It's not about going out in the world and and trying to turn people into a bunch of believers, but it's trying to bring God's kingdom of, of justice, of mercy, of compassion, of love, of equity into this world now. And then the hearts and the minds will follow. I hope that Lent this year has helped each and every one of you reflect on where you personally are at with this journey. I want to just quickly even go over the last four weeks and what we've talked about. And I'll make my my point as to why in just a moment, but week one, we heard the story of Noah, the covenant that God makes with Noah, that that God will never destroy the world by flood again. And really what this story is about is is that, that God sees an element of goodness in humanity, and God especially sees goodness in creation. And frankly, we as people today, we do not choose to see that goodness in our fellow siblings. We live in a world where we expect the worst out of people before we expect the best out of them. And we especially do not see the divine in creation around us. We are just absolutely destroying this planet. We do not see the promise for humanity or the promise for creation. We definitely don't act that way as a society. Week two was uh, the story of Abraham and Sarah when God promised both of them that, that they will give birth to an entire nation, which, which I said was God's promise for a secure future, the promise that we don't have to worry about tomorrow. God is already there so that we can focus on our present. But we as a society, we live in fear of the future. We live in fear of not having enough for the future. We are completely dominated by this fear and live our lives that way instead of living into this promise that God is going to take care of us. Week three was the story of the Ten Commandments. And and if you remember, I said the commandments were God's response to God's grace that all of Israel had through Abraham's trust in God. And for us as Christians, we have that grace through Jesus' faith in going to the cross. We call this grace. Grace is radical, it's unconditional, and it's for everybody. But we don't believe in grace. We don't believe that God can simply love us as we are. And, And our proof of that is that we have not created a society around us that operates around grace. Our society and our relationships are not built on grace. And then finally, last week was the story of the bronze serpent in the desert. And if you remember, the, 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 the uh, Israelites were punished for not trusting that God would take care of them, for not living a faith-filled way of life. And my point last week is that that we treat this faith as though it's calling us into a system of belief rather than a way of life. And I think this Jeremiah 31 text uh, brings that point home. We treat our faith as though it's calling us into a system of belief, which is easy. It's easy to say, I believe. But it's a lot harder to have our actions mirror that belief. And God is far more concerned with our actions than our conscious acceptance. 
So I, I hope that over the last four weeks, you were able to look at each of these promises that God gives us, and I hope you were able to, to see where you land within the, in those promises, within trusting in those promises. And I think our, our, our fifth promise, this promise for heaven on earth, this promise in, in Jeremiah 31, I think it's a great promise to end this Lenten series on because it, it really highlights that, that Jesus is not an endpoint, that our faith is not an endpoint, that it's beginning, that is meant to call us into a way of life, into a journey. And what Jeremiah 31 really highlights is that God still has a plan for this world that, that has not been realized yet. That God's promise for heaven on earth is still a part of God's plan. And it has not been realized yet. And this is not a plan that we just simply sit on our hands and wait for. And that's, that's the main point today. God gives us this promise for heaven on earth, and this is not a promise that we sit on our hands and wait for. It is a promise we participate in. We, as followers of Jesus, are called to make this promise in Jeremiah 31 a reality. I will even go as far as to say that, that this promise in Jeremiah 31 will not happen unless we as followers participate in it. And we do that by going back to the last four weeks and what we've been talking about. We do it by, uh, by seeing the simple inherent goodness and love in all people and just by simply loving them, period. We do it by, by looking out in the created world around us and seeing God in it. And realize that when we destroy this planet, we destroy God. And that we are called to care for this world that we live in. We do it by, by not letting our worry about the future dominate our lives. But hand over that fear to God so that we can be more focused in the present and loving each other and caring for this planet here and now, we do it by truly accepting that, that God actually does love us just the way we are and responding to that love by loving others, by creating a society of love and compassion and mercy. We do it by, by letting go of a system of belief and focusing more on this way of life that Jesus calls us to, a way of life that is not concerned what, what other people are believing in, but is far more concerned in just simply loving people. We are called to bring heaven on earth by doing all of these things. And it's really not that complicated. But we make it so. Heaven is constantly breaking through into our world all the time. It's happening right now. Every time we love, every time we care for, every time we stand up for justice and mercy in this world, heaven is breaking through. Every time we encounter a, a beautiful sunset or, or walk in creation and allow time to just pause and, and, and be still in that moment, heaven is breaking through. 
And we are called to participate in all of this. This final promise in Jeremiah 31, it it only happens if we participate in it. I really, really hope this Lent that you've reflected on, on these last four weeks, I really hope you've spent some time in quietness with yourself, reflecting on where you land in participating in this way of life. And if, if you haven't, all the sermons are recorded. Go back and listen to them, please. Our faith can come off as very passive sometimes, and I definitely perpetuate that. I mean, I, I talk about God's unconditional love. God loves you no matter what. And if God loves you no matter what, then what's left for you to do? I talk about how grace is for everyone regardless of belief. And, and if grace is for everyone, if, if we're all just going to go to heaven when we die, what's the point of living a, a moralistic life now? But, but our faith isn't passive. In order to reap the benefits of our faith, it has to be active. So I, I, I ask you to look at these promises we've been talking about over the last few weeks Ask yourself, where, where do we fall short? Where can we do better? Because at the end of the day, we all, each of us, have a choice. A choice of where our faith leads us. And that choice is not whether or not our, our faith is going to lead us to heaven or hell after we die. I hope I've made that point very clearly. But rather it's this. How can your faith help you experience heaven now? And how can your faith help you bring that experience of heaven to others now? Because if we're not looking at it in in these terms, we're going to miss out on this incredible gift of life. Amen.